people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I, the only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset going to mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wander. So all I know is Samba deer, but the more, the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. Well, g'day guys, welcome to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm Craig Hales. This week we have Rob Herbert. Uh, he sits down with Barry Howlett, who is the Executive Officer of the ADA, or the Australian Deer Association. And the boys discuss some of the difficult positions that the ADA finds itself in as they can do it between hunting groups, uh, individuals, and, and tedious government policy. So uh, they discuss membership numbers, uh, growth, and what increased membership could possibly mean the to the ADA at a national level. Um, a little personal note from Herbie, uh, he said, the thing you took away from the interview with Barry is a small amount of memberships, um, 6,000 odd nationally, but Barry answers the close to 100,000 hunters nationally on a social media. Um, so, uh, you know, public outcry in groups that really don't even focus um, on their deer. So um, Herbie asked, you know, everyone to challenge themselves as a hunter. Um, and what they could do to improve hunting in Australia um, and and push us to a worldwide leader. So anyway, guys, um, a little bit of a different topic this week and uh, it's certainly a really, really good listen and uh, credit to Herbie and Barry on this one. So guys, uh, let's jump to it. Enjoy. Okay, so we're recording and that's good. All right, good morning, listeners. It's Rob Herbert here from Hunting Camp Down Under in Australia, and uh, I've got with me Barry Howlett, who's the Executive Officer of the Australian Deer Association, sitting down in my lounge room having a coffee. Um, and we're just going to run through a few things, I guess, that um, some of the listeners may be interested in in relation to the ADA. Um, Barry, his life as a, um, a young bloke through to his hunting to where he is today. Um, and how the ADA looks in Australia as a national association and not just something that occurs in Victoria. So good morning, Barry. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks, Rob. Thanks for having us. No dramas, mate. Um, we'll just go back a little bit of background about you so so people get a, an idea that um, Barry is who he is. Who's Barry? Uh, I grew up in, um, <coughs> oh, pardon me. I grew up in Maui in Victoria, which is a um, sort of industrial coal mining town about 150k out of Melbourne. Uh, went to school there, left school when I was about 16, 17. Um, had a variety of jobs, ended up driving trucks for quite a few years and found my way in the construction industry. And then from there, an opportunity came up to work for ADA, so I took that. Beautiful. So that was in what year did you start with ADA? Do you remember? Started with ADA about five years ago. Yep. And what position do you hold there now? executive officer so I was originally working for just the Victorian division of ADA and then after a year or two stepped up to a national role. Yep and uh, that's an ongoing position for you that's a full-time position? Yeah full-time position we're pretty small it's it's just me we've got a, um, a finance contractor who handles that side of our work and a membership officer who are, they're both part-time and work remotely from me. Yep. Um, but other than I'm the only full-time position in the association. Cool. Well, um, that that's a very um, broad, I guess, covering a lot of years of what Barry's been doing. Um, what are some of your private interests? What do you like to do when you're not at work? Um, I'm a member of Sunday Island. Um, that's really taken over as a big passion of ours in the last couple of years. So, so what's Sunday Island? Sunday Island's a, a small island off the coast of Port Albert in um, the southernmost part of mainland Australia. And it's a, um, it was bought about 55 years ago by a cooperative um, to run it as a game management cooperative, looking yep. after hog deer. Um, and I've only very recently joined up, but we go there well, at least once a month. We've got our own little small shack on the island and it's become a bit of a family retreat and the family just likes being away with the bush. You can go fishing there um, and I just like looking at hog deer. I can stand there <laughs> all day and sneak up <laughs> on them with the camera and just spend my time um, just looking at deer. 
So what sort of populations down there? Um, a few hundred hog deer on there, and yep. they're, they're really well managed. So there's constant surveying and constant pasture management, and then there's a hunt set on, on what the population is in any given year. It, it's real, the closest we've got in Australia to really good game management. It, it, it happens because it's a private cooperative and a, yeah, sort of a closed yep. circuit, I suppose, yep. but it's a properly game-managed herd of, of hog deer. It's a really exciting thing to be a part of. And hog deer are, for those that don't know what hog deer are, they're a, a very small deer that are found only in a very few parts of uh, Asia and our wild population that is huntable here in Australia. Um, they're a very prized deer um, in relation to the hunting scene and on the table. Um, and what we're just talking about um, is a well-managed little group of them that I think could be even... Uh, the management strategies could be transposed into larger um, examples on the mainland in, in times to come. Yeah, ideally, and that's, um, yeah, hog deer is just a bit of a, a passion of mine. Um, I'm involved with the Bombay Hog Deer Advisory Group who oversee the mainland hog deer ballots and the Snake Island ballot. And also interested in, you know, there's some private landholders who are doing really good property-based game management stuff with hog deer. It's starting to happen, but there's a real tension there with um, some of the land managers aren't that keen on, on having hog deer around, so. Yeah, yep. Um, and you like to get out and hunt Samba as well? You've been out and about? I do, but nowhere near as much as I'd like to. Um, started off as a hound hunter. Yep. And did that pretty well every weekend I had for about 10 years, and that's dropped off over the last 10 years or so. Yep. Um, and I get out you know, half a dozen times a year at best now, which... Um, I really need to get out a lot more than that. It just life gets in the way. Oh, it certainly does. Got yeah. a six-year-old son and, and other commitments <laughs> and busy, busy. And I, I, I know that um, with my involvement with ADA, it's no um, sort of hidden truth that I'm a member. I certainly am, and, and um, you know this podcast may come across a little biased towards ADA, but. Um, I have seen you at every um, Hunter's Education weekend that I've been at. It's quite an active role that um, the Executive Officer plays within ADA. Yeah, look, we're, as I said, we're, we're a reasonably small organisation in that regard. I'm the only full-time staff member. And I still see myself. I was a national president of ADA years ago. I've been a branch president. I still see my role in a lot of that more or less as being a volunteer rather yep. than as part of my job, it, it's stuff I'd do if I was off working elsewhere. It's stuff I was doing when I was off working elsewhere, and I've just continued with it because really enjoy it. The, the education's great. The yeah, um, especially big weekends like that hunter education weekend when you can have you know fifty, sixty, seventy people walk away with a heap more knowledge about deer and about hunting than they had. It, it gives you a real kick to be a part of that. I oh, totally. I think that uh, giving back to the hunting community in any way, whether you're a member of the ADA or any other affiliation is, is certainly something that, um, you know, warms the cockles of your soul, so to speak. Yeah. And to see a young hunter or a person that's new to the outdoors actually enjoy it and walk away with some correct information is certainly something that I think is uh, developing that stalwart of the community for the next generation. You know, it's a, it's a thing that we all like to be in, involved in. Going back a, a, a little bit, so to throttle off from that... Um, ADA, it's a national body. It's got yourself as the executive officer. Um, and how does, how does it roll out in each state? Like, how does it look? What's, what is ADA? Yeah, so at our core and at our strength, we're a branch network. We've got 30-odd branches scattered across the country. Yep. Um, you know, a, big, a big bulk of them down the eastern seaboard and through Tasmania, but a branch in Darwin, a branch in Western Australia... Um, three branches in South Australia now, and that's for most people who get involved in ADA, getting involved through a branch, a local branch is where it's at, so that branch is semi-autonomous, they're, they're a part of the bigger picture and they work to national policy, but they go off and run their own meetings and run their own events and run their own affairs in a way that works for the people in that local area. So a local ADA umbrellas underneath that bigger branch of the national ADA? Yeah, yeah, there used to be a state structure in the middle and we've flattened our structure in the last few years. Yep. So we've got some state executives, state coordinators who work with the board, but essentially the relationships between a, a board of management 
and the branches, and then the branches and the members. Yep. And what does a, a local ADA offer to someone that's not a member? Why would I go along to an ADA meeting? It's a, If you're a brand new hunter particularly, it's a ready-made network of people who share your interests. So um, a lot of young people, or not necessarily young people, but new entrants to hunting come to an ADA meeting, join a branch, um, all of our branches run their own little hunting events, little branch camps, so it's an opportunity to meet more experienced hunters, go out and be yep. mentored by them. It's that ready-made sort of network of like-minded people, and that varies from place to place. So, you know, where we're sitting now in East Gippsland, it's probably not too hard. You could probably go to the supermarket and run into someone to talk deer hunting about. Yeah. Yep. If, you, if, you're, if you're in a big city, it's probably the only place you can go. Yep. And speak to like-minded people. I'm lucky too. I live in, in country Victoria and Warrigal and same thing. I can, go, I can go to Woolworths and talk deer hunting with people. <laughs> yep. But to get into that in-depth conversation, it's, it's, just a, it's a social network as much as anything. Yep. And that in itself, I think, leads to uh, that better networking and, and people that um, offer years, not just a year or months there's guys that are in the ada like yourself that have been around in the industry and um, out in the field for 20 30 40 years you're talking about um, people that have their own private um, game management sort of uh, setup there's a guy that's um, sort of in between you and i that's um, pretty well known i think for his property based management um mr andrews is it um uh, what's his name he's down there at um Clyde Bank. Um, anyway, I'll come back to that in a minute. He's got a lot of hog deer there, and um, Peter. Um, oh, it's lost me at the moment. My, my brain's <laughs> broken. But anyway, when I, when I was a new hunter, and I got introduced to people that have been that are in their seventies that have been hunting their whole life, and seeing the changes in hunting in Australia and hunting deer, and their international experiences for me, it was a bit of a G up as well about what can I actually do to um, promote hunting and where can we take this um, to and from so finding our local uh, East Gippsland ADA branch um, for me was a really you know an eye-opener I learned how to make sausages there and um, you know Ken, Ken Slee you were thinking of or yeah, Peter Atkinson Peter Atkinson yeah and yeah. super experienced um, the bikes at that East Gippsland branch you know um, you look at the the photos of the glory days of the Maroka in the mid-80s and there's Peter Atkinson and Rony Strecker and all of those bikes. Yeah, and yep. um, yeah, you go along to your local ADA branch and there they are warming up the party pies. I know, it's it's running the barbecue, more than more than welcome to, to um, say good day and help you out with different stuff. I think um, the ADA uh, has enjoyed some success recently in relation to its um, subscription magazine that's um, out and about as well. How, how do you get on board with that? Yeah, so every member gets six issues of the magazine um, as a part of their membership. And we made a move four or five years ago. It used to be a, a fairly small little club magazine. Very good little club magazine, but yep. the world had moved on. So we moved to that big newsstand format. And then earlier this year, we moved to a new provider, that um, more of multimedia moving that Australian deer, which has been the name of the magazine since 1976, moving that into something that's also a website, that's also a mobile app, that's also a pod, an occasional podcast, yep. um, social media. Uh, understanding that people are as hungry for content, probably people are consuming more content than they've ever consumed at any time just not in the traditional way. So um, the magazine's still really important and I love it and that tactile thing with those yeah. really beautiful images. And part of the big move we've made earlier this year is the, the graphic design's really lift up, lifted up a peg, the printing's lifted up a peg and it's um, really nice images, really well treated, but good stories behind it. Yep. I think it's a really good outreach for us, the mag. We're proud of where it's at. But over time that's developing into a web platform and video and... And where content's going more broadly. So who's doing your social media management at the moment? Um, I am at the moment uh, amongst, yeah. <laughs> the chief, man of many hats. Chief cook, bottle washer, um, <laughs> yeah. social media manager. Um, yeah, I, I do most of that at the moment. The the company that we um, have an arrangement with to do the magazine provides some of that. And they provide us with a really good platform that makes that easier. But yep. yeah, most of the stuff that goes up, I put up. It's a thing uh, to be able to do all of that and still be a dad and, you know, a 
average everyday fella as well. <laughs> yeah, look, it creates a bit of tension at home sometimes when I'm there at eight o'clock at night tapping away on the computer. But um, you know, it's a do a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life, sort of thing. So it's a great adage to live by. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to sort of um, raise or ask, I guess, is what sort of um, voice does ADA have in a political um, sense? I mean, how do you get the message from the hunter on the ground through the ADA to um, those government bodies that, um, like the GMA, and the, the, which is the Game Management Association in, in, Vic in Victoria, um, and other ministers of parliament and that sort of stuff? What's the nexus there between you and them? Yeah, we work um, very hard on our advocacy. Um, uh, one of our board members has got a great saying that success comes dressed in overalls. <laughs> and it really is with, with the stuff we do in Parliament House and the stuff we do with the bureaucrats. It's a matter of just building those relationships, showing up, um, getting yourself known. And it takes years and years to, to just constantly be in there, building a network of, of trust and relationships. Yep. And the trust is the really important thing. We, we try and get ourselves in a position where politicians, bureaucrats, um, they might know that, they might not like what we're going to say, but they know that we're going to be fair and they know that they're going to see us coming. So yep. if we're going to say something publicly about someone, they've had every opportunity behind the scenes to fix it and they haven't. Yep. Um, we don't ambush people. We treat them respectfully. We try and play the issue and not the person. Yep. And And all that just takes a lot of time. It's a lot of sitting down with people, talking through our issues, talking through when there's not a problem and just making sure that as many people as possible explain what the issues are yep. so that when something does come up, hopefully they come to us. So I guess from the multi-tier, I guess, of what ADA, from what you're saying and what I'm understanding, that the, the ADA is really a small, um, you know, manpower employment base um, that has that multi-jurisdictional role of being able to, or having that responsibility of you as the spokesperson to take floor matters up to a level where you can one day be speaking to um, hunters out in the field, try and understand what their issues are in relation to hunting in Victoria and then take it to a political table where you may have sitting at that table people that are opposed to hunting and have a a different view of um, rights, responsibilities and area size that should or shouldn't be able to be hunting and you have to play that the meat in the middle for all of that. Yeah, and we, we try to be a conduit, we try to be a voice for all hunters, not just for people who are members of our organisation. Now, I'm certain there's hunters out there who probably don't agree with us doing that, but that's what we do. We, um, yep. we seek to represent the interests of recreational hunters. Yep. And even with the most of the people, particularly people in politics or bureaucracy who disagree with us, over time we can build respect. Um, we're never going to change some people's minds, but over time we can get better results by building respect. And like I said, that's not about not criticising them, it's about them seeing us coming yeah. when we do criticise them and basing what we do on, on, on evidence, on data, on facts. Yeah. So it's not just a momentarily pump of the heart that something has motivated you or it's, a, or it's a emotive issue, there's actually quite a bit of science that plays in behind what the ADA presents forwards as well. Yeah, yeah, and we try to um, base everything we do on facts, data, evidence, evidence is our mantra. Yep. Um, and it's I've spoken about that in stuff before. The people who oppose us don't necessarily have to deal in facts. They've got the advantage of being in a majority cultural position and having the media and, and a lot of the elite on their side, they don't necessarily have to deal in facts. We do. Yep. And you know, people will whinge that that's not fair or whatever. Well, it doesn't really matter because that's the way it is. So we deal in facts and then and then no one can come back at us and, and discredit us. Yeah. And that's I think that um, having that ability to be, um, like you said, to be honest and to be known to be honest. So you might put forward something that people don't like, but they know that that is has got that factual backing behind it. And something as simple as, <clears throat> I guess, member numbers 
How, how many members are uh, in ADA at the moment, do you know? So we've got 6,500, which is relatively small when you look at the amount of hunters, you know. I think the game licence, deer licences in Victoria are probably going to overtake 40,000 this year. Yep. Um, and, yeah, there's, there's a number of factors behind that. You don't need to be a member and um, we'll represent your interests whether you're a member or not. Yep. And quite happily do so. Um, but we've got, and we use those numbers of, hey, there's 40,000 licensed deer hunters and we're their voice. Yep. And I think that um, for how I feel about it, it doesn't matter if you're a member of um, Field and Game, if you're a member of ADA, if you're a member of Sporting Shooters or any other club. For me, uh, I see the importance of being a member because if you're not a member, your vote isn't actually counted. So for a bloke like yourself who may be trying to put a structured argument towards having greater access to a area of land, if you went to a meeting with we have 6,000 members or went to a meeting with we have 40,000 signed up members, anyone can see that having that behind you for a membership price actually starts to make your hammer a little heavier. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's taken as a sign of the commitment that the sector has, that, that the stakeholders have in in our issues, I suppose. People will, will take it seriously. Oh, they, these are committed people, and committed people equals people who will change their vote based on an issue, I suppose. Yep. And what's a, a membership worth to people? Uh, we're $95 a year. Um, we're about to bring out on our new website. Um, I was promised it last week, so I'm expecting <laughs> it in the next, but anyone who's ever done anything with technology yeah. will know that it never runs to schedule. But um, we're about to bring out monthly payments, um, payments every three months, so a range of options. So yep. um, what's called perpetual membership, so you'll be able to give us your debit card number and we'll just do $8 a month or whatever that works out to be. Yep. Um, easier payment options for people. We're, we're going to bring out a, a range of different membership levels and, and stuff to make it easier for people to be members. Yep. And ultimately stuff to make it more valuable for people to be members. So more content on the members only section of our new website. Yep. Doing more stuff that, that encourages people to be members. Because ultimately, if someone's not a member of ADA, that's not their fault, that's our fault. We're failing to be relevant to them to yep. the point where they want to part with their money. So that's on us. It's not on the person who's not a member. Mm. The, the things that you get out of your membership, I guess, uh, is a question that I hear a lot. What do I get for my membership? Um, and apart from the six magazines a year, one of the um, issues that have been a sort of a burning issue for the last two years is the um, in, in Victoria is the talk and the bandy around of the um, great... Um, park that's sort of yeah the great forest national park yeah, great yeah. forest national park what sort of work have you been doing or the ada been doing around making sure that hunters um or that that land is still accessible and that sort of stuff and how mm. difficult is that for you guys it goes back to that constant grind and it's been stuff we've been agitating and advocating on since 2013 i think um since we first heard about that proposal and pushing constantly that hunter access is critical hunter access is critical um and that message has got across um and we've had a change of ministers since the last parliament so that work begins again and that's yeah. that's the vagaries of politics too just when you're making really good progress yeah everything changes and yeah. you start again Off um, you go. and that goes back to having some established relationships with a broad range of people which sort of insulates you from that yep but yeah we the main thing we try and advocate on um, we advocate for sound deer management. Yep. It's really important to us. And we advocate for hunter access to public land. Yep. And when we say hunter access, to, it's not ADA member access to public land. We want all hunters to be able to access as much public land as possible. Yeah, yep. And I think that that in itself is worth paying my 100 bucks for a year to have someone doing the work for me personally. Um, and like I said, this podcast might sound a bit driven or a bit um, blue-eyed towards the ADA, but um, for me sitting here in my lounge room talking to, to Baz about this stuff. Um, for me, it's worth paying my 100 bucks to make sure that there is that that access 
that isn't reduced as well, I guess, that there's a lot of people pushed to to reduce the hunting in, in areas that are of no concern politically. They just want to remove hunters from areas. Oh, oh there's people like um, Victorian National Parks Association are running an agenda to limit, restrict, remove hunter access to public land. When you hear them talk about deer should be a pest, mm. what they're really talking about is taking hunters out of national parks. Yep. That's what they're trying to do. Yep. Um, and we're on watch, constantly on watch for that sort of thing and, and educating, again, going in based on facts, taking position papers to people in power and saying, here's the truth for what it matters. Yep. Here's, here's the facts of the situation. I think that that's a, a much overlooked part um, in the jobs that I've done in the past that playing that political card is always something that takes a lot of energy and, and uh, skill to be able to take that you know message forward or be able to brief a minister. It's not the sort of thing that you can just go to the pub and have a beer and say, oh, hunters just reckon we need more access, so fix it. There's a lot more, you know, research and, and work that goes into getting that message across to the ministers. Uh, yeah, look, we work. I mean, any, any individual can and should build a relationship with their local MP, but doing that consistent broad-scale advocacy work, we work with political strategy firms. We invest money in working with political strategy firms. Yep. Um, quite a bit of money and, and a quite a bit of time in making sure that what we do... And stuff we do might might not always be obvious to people why we're doing yep. what we're doing, but people should hopefully take comfort in the fact that there's actually a sound strategy behind what we're doing. It's it's considered, um, and we approach most issues with what have we got to lose rather than what have we got to win. Yep. So um, there's a lot of people who tend to love to dream about the spoils of victory but they don't want to weigh up the cost of defeat yeah um and just about any issue that we're going to campaign on the first thing we're doing is weighing up the cost of defeat before we go looking at what the spoils of victory look like yep totally i think um on that point that there's been a bit of discussion around um the proposed licensing um changes in in victoria yep. um in relation to deer hunting what's your sort of comment on that yeah so we put out a a national position paper on um accreditation we called it but it's it's basically a test for licensing um in the same vein as what people do in new south wales to get an r license which is a fairly simple multiple choice test on basic hunting safety knowledge and ethics yep um on the understanding that GMA were already going there in Victoria, you had the Pegasus report that came out that was very damning of the GMA. I mean, our view, um, unfairly damning of the GMA. Yep. Um, Pegasus went out with a conclusion and then wrote a report to suit their conclusion. <laughs> yep. And there's examples of that. Um, you know, there's um, stuff about what happened at Karangi State Game Reserve in 2017, which was the tipping point incident. They interviewed three people who represent hunting organisations for that report. Yep. I was one of them. They quoted one person who represented a hunting organisation saying, yes, well, GMA failed. The person they quoted wasn't there. <laughs> the two other people they quoted were there and told a very different story. Yeah. Because yeah. we saw it firsthand. Yeah. And that sort of selectivism. But all that aside, Pegasus is there. It's accepted by government. That is the... The logic that is what people are going to run with and part of those recommendations of pegasus are that there will be a test for all game hunters not just deer hunters yep that there will be a test so we sought to a look at the bigger national picture so we've got this testing in new south wales we've got aspirations for public land hunting in queensland south australia western australia to extend it in tasmania yep the reality is when that comes in those governments are going to look at what's the highest standard in the country and at the moment the highest standard is that our license test yep we sought to shape that to make it if at all possible even more accessible to hunters than the our license test so to make it online if we can yep and ideally to make it free of charge for everyone to use so we don't want barriers to entry and if you look at the hound test that we've got in victoria to go hound hunting it's basically a test of no value you learn nothing yep from doing the test yep and it's really difficult to get done because you have to arrange for people from GMA to come out and physically test you. So for someone from interstate or someone who wants to come hound hunting with you on a whim, it's a real barrier for entry. So we're keen to avoid that. 
So we took the decision that let's publish a national position paper on how does hunting look in 20 years? Testing's gonna be a part of that. How do we want it to look? How do we shape it? And that's what we've set out to do. I think having, um, having an input into the process and even prior to the process and the machinations of how policy gets developed, I think is fairly important than, like you said before, um, having something go under your nose, having nothing to do with it and then complaining about it afterwards. I think what I would like to see is um, continued, as a member of ADA, continued um, advocacy from you guys, but also having that, um, that what can I say, m more... Um, what, when you go to your social media page and you go to the ADA page, that the updates, I guess, of why we're doing things, um, that would be great to see. I would. I also see, as a member of ADA, when I read those, there's people that have a lot of different concerns and comments in relation to um, the ADA is just doing this for a cash grab from the government and yeah. that sort of stuff. What's the what's your sort of take on that, Bez? Well, it's it's nonsense. Um, our, our first contention is that this thing should be really low priced, if not free. Um, and so it's, that's just patent nonsense. We're not, probably to our detriment, um, culturally we've never been an organisation that's chased money. Yep. Um, personally, I'm, that's not in my nature to chase money. That's not what drives me. It's not what drives ADA. Like I said, we probably need to be a bit better at chasing money than we are, <laughs> but we don't make decisions on stuff that affects the future of hunting based on dollars and cents. We make it based on what we think is right, yep. taking that long-term strategic view on what we think is right for hunting. And stuff like that position paper, we put that out in full knowledge that there'd be people who would disagree. I think we said in the video, you're welcome to disagree. Please disagree respectfully. Yep. The people who disagreed respectfully, we sought to answer their concerns respectfully. Yep. Um, some people weren't capable of doing that, and that's fine. They can go off and comment on some other page. Yeah, yep. It's not helpful for um, progression in the discussion when things are put forward in some fairly derogatory terms, I guess. Yeah, no, no that's right. And, you know, we, we're all adults and we can we can take a bit. I've got pretty thick skin. You know, but, um, but Can't be yeah. thicker than me. Look, at me. I'm, like, I'm like a rhino <laughs> in size. But, you know, ultimately, if, if someone's got a question, we're more than happy to to answer and if someone's got a different point of view we're more than happy to listen to it nobody's got a, a mortgage on wisdom or, or knowledge you <laughs> yeah. know everyone gets stuff wrong from time to time and it's good to have good robust discussions totally. but the problem with social media quite often is that it's not good robust discussions it's lunatic conspiracy theorists just being abusive yeah yep and where does the ada get their funding from uh the bulk of it comes from membership um, we've got a few other, a, a couple of little government grants, but they're fairly tied to what we do. So some of our deer management stuff takes a high level of insurance and admin. So we've got a grant that helps us out with that. Yep. We got a grant a few years ago from the Northern Territory Government where we do a remote area hunter education, Yep. which is a really fun little program. We go out to remote Indigenous communities and teach firearm safety and meat handling. Yep. Um, and it's a really really good program to be a part of um, getting those people um, eating more wild food basically eating good high value yep. protein you know buffaloes and scrub bull and whatever they've got stuff that they've got on country and sadly there's people who are living in these townships and eating fast food yeah yep um, and their health outcomes are really really bad um, and the thing that struck me the most when Brian Boyle first took me into a remote community and we went out to a range was the firearm safety stuff is really, really scary. Um, but, you know, really intelligent people. We're dealing with people who speak three or four languages yeah. and yep. you go out on country with them and they know intimately what every plan is and what it does and uh, amazing people. Yeah, yep. But just getting them some of those basic skills that we take for granted. Yeah, yep. Um, to a, to make them safer, and B, to hopefully get some more really good food into those communities, get them to use the resource they've got. So we get a bit of funding for that, which is 
yep. which is good and it's fun for us and it's um, beneficial for those communities. And we've got a few little side revenue streams. So we run a web shop that trickles along. Um, we've recently launched and it, it sells a bit of stuff. Got these really, really cool knives from this really, <laughs> really gifted knife maker on there. Um, the Donut King. <laughs> um, and, and a few books and stuff like yeah. that. But the bulk of it's membership. Do you need to be a member to access that store? That's, that... No, no. And most of our website, or all of it at the moment, is available to everyone. Um, yep. Even the mobile app at the moment's got every issue of the magazine from this year on it, and that's free to everyone. That will get locked up in members only after some time or, or non-members will be able to access little p bits and pieces of it. Yep. We try and keep the best content free, but there'll be value-added content that you get as a benefit of being a member because um, it costs us money to make. So yeah, um, yep. someone has to pay for it and our members who do pay for it should get the privilege of getting that little bit extra. Yeah, totally. I do know that the website um, is when I looked at it last, is quite interactive and user-friendly. It's just drop-down bars and you can, you know, access everything from hunter education courses to literature to, um, you know, where your local ADA is at. Um, did I hear wrong before when you were talking about there's going to be a restructure of the webpage or...? Oh, that... So that new platform we only launched earlier this year, so we'll yep, keep okay. that, but there'll yep. be a members-only section locked up in the in the yep. back end of that. Yep. So more adding to that. Um, and it's already, you know, we... If an issue comes up in deer hunting, you can pretty well read about it on our website that day. Um, so it, it's 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 changing daily. It's it's a live thing that ADA website and our news is probably, hopefully, amongst the best news in Australian hunting. You know, yep. it, it's it's very very current. We've got a resource coming on in a couple of weeks, which is only part time, but through a media organisation we're working with, um, a cadet journalist who's going to be with us for twelve months. Cool. Um, which will, yeah, it's really cool. It's it's good for her to learn the craft and someone who will hopefully go on to a career in Australian journalism and have 12 months of having worked part-time on ours and part-time on another hunting title. Yep. But have that background in, in hunting issues and hopefully, you know, she goes on to a great and illustrious career in Australian journalism and always has that solid background in our issues and what we do. But from our perspective, we'll have a lot more content getting generated and good quality content getting generated for hunters so and can where can people submit stories or photos that sort of stuff um yeah that's a good question um they can send them through uh to myself or to our editor email yep. address which is editor at ostdeer.asn.au yep um and yeah more than happy to get member driven content particularly for the magazine but the magazine stuff most of that finds its way onto the website over yep. time as well so yep and that's back to that whole australian deer is the content not the particular way of delivering it yeah yep can you join from the website or yeah, yeah yep. you can online join now but um that newer functionality will be coming online in a week or so which will allow you to have all those different options and, and if you join now you can change over to monthly or pay every three months or pay every five years or just trying to make it flexible so that it works for however people want to do it so, without sounding like a, a One Nation meeting in a bar in America, uh, what would 40,000 new members do or mean for the ADA? Oh, that would, um, yeah, change our world significantly. Um, it would mean more people out there doing outreach, um, a lot more hunter education and trying to get as many new hunters as we can educated as cheaply or as freely as possible. Yep. Um, so th in the initial sense, what I'd love to do with an, an extra person would be have that resource working on hunter education with our branches. Yep. So our branches deliver hunter education stuff at, a lot of them do it at most of their meetings, whether that's, you know, how basic stuff on how to skin or caper deer or how to make sausages, uh, bushcraft and survival sort of stuff, um, how to go backpack hunting, all sorts of stuff to get a bit more structure around that and deliver as much hunter education to as many hunters as free as possible or as cheaply as possible yep. would be the first thing we'd do with extra resource. And the other thing we'd do with extra resource is up our advocacy, yep. have more people doing more advocacy in more places. Yep. Do you think um, that you would be... Oh, 
I don't know how to form that question really around um, more members being able to fund a position that's going to be um, at the minister level constantly so that you're not um, spread out all over the place so much, I guess, if you're sort of saying... Yeah, yeah ideally, um, yeah, my role would change if we had when we get more resource. We're working towards that now, but when we get more resource, my role will change and whether that means that I do just advocacy and not the management or I do just management and someone better than me does the advocacy, is that's a matter for the board. Yep. Um, our ultimate aspiration is to get someone younger than me doing my public position. Yep. And that all goes to being relevant to the people who are coming into deer hunting. Yep. Um, it should, I'm, you know, I'm old and grey. And, <laughs> and we need to be, if we're going to be relevant to the generation that's going to be driving deer hunting in 20 years' time, we need to be driven by that generation. Yeah, yep. So that's, that's what we're working towards in a big way is trying to get younger people and there's younger people out there with amazing skills and amazing talent. Yeah, totally. We just need to be able to tap into them and give them the tools to do what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, ultimately that would free me up, hopefully. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, having to wear, you know, 13 different hats in one day can be, um, you know, a stretch at its, at its best. Do you it, think, think... It can be fun, though. Like, you know, it's, it's not... We were talking in your workshop before about yep. how, you know, oh, you get, get a bit tired of that job. You can go... It, it, it can be a nice distraction to go from dealing in um, you know, briefings for the minister's office to go out into the warehouse and pick a few books to take to the post office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and get get in the in the mail and um, have a bit of a breather. Do you get it out to um, Do you get out to local branches or or that sort of stuff regularly? Yeah, or? yeah, try to. Um, it's hard with the tyranny of distance, but. I got to Western Australia last year, probably get there every second year. Uh, I was in Brisbane earlier this year, um, Tasmania next month. Get around the Victorian branches a lot, um, which you know, I'd love to get to every branch. The I can get around them because I can drive there from home yeah. and get back home that night, yeah. which makes it a lot easier. But try to get to as many branches as we can because, like I said, the branches are the engine room of the association. It's where our members are, are at and it's where our members who want to be engaged get really well serviced. Yep. Do you think that um, moving forward, I guess, what would you like to see or do you think that, um, I'm trying not to give you leading questions, but um, I guess with the, the input that the government has in relation to um, Victorian changes, in relation to testing and all those sort of bits and pieces, being seen as a as a collective, Australia-wide, as a hunting collective, it is easier, I guess, to quell some of those fires and some of the um, stirring that groups that are anti-hunting have if your members are tested in a 20, you know, test, question test, to be able to say, well, actually, our members are um, educated and here's the piece of paper to say so it might not seem like a big thing to some but do you think that that will be something that can lead I, I think it makes it easier to push for more access to public land yep um, I think it, it takes one of one of the counter arguments out of the equation straight away yep um, and there's there's a, a big ideology that we're confronting when we're pushing for access to public land but if you can take the first argument that gets thrown up at us is safety and we know it's rubbish we've got We've been hunting in national parks here in Victoria since the early 1980s. Um, we're the dominant user of the southern fall of the Alpine National Park, which is a massive national Huge. park. And we're the dominant user of that for about eight or nine months of the year. Yep. Without incident, we've got a heap of factors that, you know, good factual factors to say that hunting is safe. But having that extra level saying, hey, look, everybody who goes in the bush has actually gone and passed a test to say that they understand yep. their basic safety obligations and their animal welfare obligations certainly removes one of one of those the first barriers that gets put up for us. Yeah, yeah. You know, people will chuck up other hurdles. That's fine, but it takes away one of the big ones. When we were fighting for Snake Island, um, which we did for about twenty years, um, this the second last attempt. So the attempt before the successful one. That's what we got knocked off on was the perception of public safety. Yep. And we'd presented a really good evidence-based case on public safety, but we got knocked off on perception. So if we can address that perception... It's only a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, you know, it's um, that change in time where 
Um, I know a lot of hunters and a lot of the guys are saying to me, um, you know, I don't need to prove to anyone that I am safe. I think what you're just saying then highlights that greater need. It, it might not it might not be that you as an individual need to prove to anyone, but it actually gives, um, I think, that authoritative stance to say, well, as a group, we actually care about our hunting. Yeah, and, and if it can lift the bar a bit, if it can make sure that everyone who is in the bush does understand that that's that's something we support anyway regardless of whether it's happening or not we we support lifting the bar yep um i did my boat license 10 years ago and i don't come from a family that have had boats but i actually learned a lot from doing the boat license test it wasn't too hard it was yep. easy enough to do but i got some value out of it and if you look at the people coming into hunting now even compared to when i came into deer hunting well, too many years ago it um, doesn't seem like that long ago, but it, it, it clearly was. Um, they're not coming in through traditional means. They're, they're people coming into deer hunting who have never fired a rifle before. Yep. Their first experience, because it's actually easier for a lot more, a lot of people to get access to hunt samba than it is to hunt rabbits. Yeah, yep. Because <laughs> um, you can just pay a game licence and go off in the bush and do it. And even with a test, it'll still be easier. Yeah, yep. So... Having those people, we can't assume that those people knew or know what you and I knew when we went and got our game licence. It's a whole new world. You know, we're going to top 40,000 game licences in this state. 20 years ago, there were 8,000. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I think that demographic shift of what you're speaking about is is really um, being pushed by that paddock-to-plate movement that you yeah. see. Yeah, it's look, it's great to see. and We want more of it and we encourage it and... And it's great, you, you look at the challenges, you've just come back from the States and, and just about every organisation there is talking about the three R's and the challenges they've got recruiting people into hunting. Yep. We've almost, with deer hunting in Australia, we've almost got the opposite challenge. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got a heap of people coming in that funnel and our challenge is just to get them all to a, just to a baseline. Yep. Um, you know, deer hunting is a very individualistic sport. Uh, pursuit and let them go off and, and pursue that how they want but if we can make sure everyone's at a baseline that's a really handy thing well it kind of makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside too knowing that the guy that, or girl that's in the bush sharing it with me has achieved a standard yeah and yeah. it's like on uh, any wetland that you go to for any of the duck opening in victoria um, or any duck shooting that you know that your opportunity is is just as fair as the person in the next blind because there's rules and regulations and a test that they had to have passed. And I think that it's actually driven a lot um, of the self-regulation. So if someone does shoot early on opening or shoots a freckled duck when they shouldn't be or, or a you know a flying emu, whatever it is that's in, you know in the swamp, it's actually frowned upon now that change that you know huge shift in in what's right and wrong has been really positive to see i think the same um sort of pleasures can be enjoyed through deer hunting when people are, are more uh, intimately involved in the process and being proud of what they do and being able to put themselves forward to any argument and say well actually i've i'm safe i've passed a test i've got a game license what more would you like me to do yeah yeah and it's um and again a bit of credit to the gma that that the new hunt, the hunting manual they bought out a year or two ago is fantastic. Yep. Like it's just a cut above anything that anybody in this country is doing. Yep. And you know the GMA gets you know you're an ex GMA person yep. yourself, but it gets much maligned. Yep. But initiatives like that for new hunters are fantastic. Like for someone to walk into the game and be handed a resource like that is just from an organisation that's not allowed to promote hunting, mind you. Yeah. Yep. It's it's a really positive thing. I think education really is, from a government perspective, um, the the weight of the argument. Moving on from that, I think um, the bigger discussion that is around a lot is the overpopulation of deer um, and how do the control methods um, weigh up socially, as in what people think is expected, and, and as a hunting group, whether you're a member of the ADA or not, um, how's all that sort of rolling down the road at the moment? <laughs> um, it keeps us busy. Yeah, um, yeah. Deer are the flavour of the month, certainly in conversations about wildlife management, um, and it's undeniable that samba, um, in particular here in Victoria, have become overabundant. 
over the last 10 years or so in a, in a number of areas. There's places we're seeing that drop off a little bit. Yep. But there's places um, east of where we're sitting here where landowners particularly are having serious crop depredation. Yep. And we're sitting here in a drought too. So yep. it, it becomes a really acute issue. And it's a, a real challenge for us to keep that conversation on a level pegging. We're dealing with stuff... Um, today, before I came here, I was in the motel room and going through some emails and a fly that's coming out from DALP, so from the land manager, and talking about stuff with deer that's just not true because you know, talking about the impacts of deer that are true, the, the crop depredation, there's some serious environmental impacts around here. Um, yep. Deer damaging littoral rainforest and yellowwood trees and I'll, I'll go all greeny on yeah, you. But, yeah. um, <laughs> but they're, they're serious things and as people who like deer we should be concerned about them and wanting to do something about them but then the fly starts going on about how uh, deer are a potential transmitter of livestock diseases yep. oh what does that even they're they're a potential hot air balloon too but they're <laughs> but they're not are they yeah. oh, and there's there's no livestock diseases that they transmit oh, livestock are a potential transmitter of livestock diseases <laughs> as well okay. so we're constantly trying to keep that conversation without being apologists for deer, trying to keep that conversation based on facts, yep. based on evidence. Um, and by the same token, the conversation about um, recreational hunters and the role that we can play, it's much maligned by the people on the other side. We're accused of being the source of deer and um, we're accused of, you know, we only shoot male deer so we're not a part of any solution which is you know the data doesn't bear that out and i've seen the data from three states and they show a pretty well even sex by here in victoria where there's i think the the latest report that's going to come out is going to show something like 120,000 deer taken well wow. yep in the last year and there's a sex bias towards males uh, towards females sorry yep we're taking more female deer than we are males so we're constantly confronting those myths in yep. management and trying to keep the role of the hunter we're not the be-all and end-all. We're not everything in the conversation. But we shouldn't be sidelined and just put off to the side like people are trying to do too. We've got a big role to play in it. And we've got a lot of people who are very knowledgeable knowledgeable about deer and deer management who should be in that conversation. I think um, the other part of that as a person that isn't really interested in what's happening at a political level and they just see it for... Um, see the issue for what they hear and see about deer being um, heli-gunned with 50 cows and mm. stuff like that. That's and it's and again, from an ADA perspective, we haven't got a philosophical objection to culling deer from a helicopter if people are really clear about what they're doing, why they're doing it. You know, there's a, a critical environmental asset that needs to be saved. We've gone through everything. This is the most efficient, most cost-effective way of saving that asset. Then go for your lives. But what's happening here in Victoria is we're flying around in helicopters shooting deer and then we're coming out afterwards and the measure is, oh, we shot um, X amount of deer per X amount of minutes <laughs> or, or some nonsense measure which doesn't talk about what deer impact you were trying to address. Yep. Because if your management isn't addressing the impacts, then there's no point. It's a waste of public money. Yep. And it just looks like, and it, it may well be addressing impacts and they haven't got the monitoring in place or they're not releasing it, but it just looks like people flying around in choppers shooting deer, which sounds like a pretty fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, but it's... And you hear deer hunters arguing that get a hound crew in there in the same gully and they'll clean up more deer and they're probably right and they'll probably do it for free. Yeah, yep. I think um, without getting into the um, hound hunting, stalking, bow hunting, whatever type of style of hunting you're into, um, I've lots of friends involved in all of that and I actually appreciate each style of that hunting but hound hunting really is a really good deer vacuum you know, if you want to call it that, um, ability to, to reduce numbers um, effectively. Um, you know, and, and I'm sure that you cop the brunt of um, 
you know, those guys that are in crews that work really hard at maintaining their dogs all year, paying for all those fees, and then they end up seeing um, only part of the story in relation to the helicopter shooting. Yeah. And look, from like I said earlier, I got involved in hound hunting fairly young, and hound hunters have copped it for the last, since the mid-80s. <laughs> hound hunters have been under attack, and that's, um, there's almost been a culture a siege mentality develop amongst the hound hunting community, and rightly so. Yep. You know, but you know, just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> That's it. Um, <laughs> uh, hound hunting's been at the forefront of attacks on deer hunting, yep. and and they see this as them being ignored, and it's pretty hard to argue yeah. with that. If you look at the control programs and the control programs that ADA and the Sporting Shooters Association are involved in with parks, the one methodology that we haven't been able to get over the line and the one that we know is probably the most effective is hunting with hounds, and we just keep hitting brick walls and can't get it up. And it's you can only put it down to a, an ideological bias. You've got, compared to when I started, when we had nothing, we had hound recovery pens, and every second or third Wednesday night after work, it was back in the ute, back up to Dargo looking for dogs all yeah. night, <laughs> um, to where you've got GPS collars, and you know where every hound is, at every time and you you could set up a hunt on a control particularly where everyone's got trackers and we've got the right number of people so you know go outside the regulations no restrictions you could set up a hunt where 99.9% guaranteed that you can control where the dogs don't go yep Um, and all of that's ignored and you can only think that it's ideological so I can see I'm no longer a, a big hound hunter. I'm lucky to go once a year, but I can see the beef that hound hunters have got with the way that they're sort of marginalised when they they are such an effective control measure. Totally, and I think that, um, like, I'm not a member of a hound crew myself, but um, for people that are listening that maybe don't know what hound hunting is, um, just a quick two-minute, what's hound hunting? Yeah, um, so effectively... Samba deer particularly have scent glands in their legs, low in their legs, and they let off scent when they move. And hunting with hounds is, so they're a scent trailing hound, so they will chase a scent of a deer that's anything, a really good hound will chase a scent of a deer that's half a day old. Yep. And they'll move along that scent trail and voice, so make noise, um, and that voice will change based on how fresh the marks they're chasing are and how close they are to the deer. So, And hound hunters will set up an area, position themselves to ambush effectively. Yep. So a crew will find an area, find some marks, they're going that way. Oh, I know this area, I know deer will cross here, here, here and here. I'll set up people on those spots. We'll put the hounds in. And quite often the deer's shot and the hounds have never even seen the deer. So there's a perception that it's, you know, dogs... Yep. attacking deer which doesn't happen um no no it's it's quite often that the hounds will come through certainly we've had hunts where you'll shoot it and you'll go, oh geez was, was that a sneaker um which used to be frowned upon mind you when i started <laughs> hound hunting it was frowned upon shooting sneakers which were deer that weren't being chased by the hounds but you know five minutes later particularly on a windy day where you can't hear the dogs the deer will come barreling through you'll shoot it and five minutes later the dogs will come through on its trail yeah or on a windy day, they're remarkable. You'll, they'll come through 50 metres up. Yep. Because that's where the scent's blowing. They're picking <laughs> the scent up out of the air yeah. rather than out of the ground. And you could prattle on for hours and hours. Yeah, and there's yeah, folks who know yeah. a lot more than me about yeah. it. There's, there's, a, there's a real art to, to hound hunting properly. Yep. And it's, it's much maligned and much underappreciated, I think. And it's certainly changed from the days of old, I think, where the different species of dogs or breeds of dogs... To today, it's quite regulated, and there's um, there's a whole lot of um, regulations in relation to the type of dog and the breed and its temperament and how you house it and kennel it. And uh, it, it's very heavy. Oh, keeping of dogs is heavily regulated, but yeah, hound hunting is very heavily regulated. And um, they're still taking lots of deer hound yep. hunts very effectively. And it's it's certainly culturally very different to other forms of deer hunting. So I do a lot of stalking with mates, and it's not the same as if you're a part of a hound crew. Um, you're a part of a. It's a, it's almost like a brotherhood. It's like a bigger it, family. Yeah, it is a. It's yeah. it becomes an extension of family. Yep. Being heavily involved in a hound crew, certainly a great culture with kids 
um, the first time I hunted with women was 20-something years ago. Yeah, wow. And that was with a hound crew, and that's because that was just accepted as a normal what happens. part of life, yep. that everybody goes, everybody's an equal when yep. you're in the bush. Yep, and I think that, um, you know, it's, it, it, why are we talking about this, I guess? So that um, people understand that um, from Barry's point of view, he is over all of the different types of hunting in relation to deer hunting and doing his best as a member of the ADA, I guess, to represent that. Um, the heli shooting is certainly something that's big in the news. It's um, probably misreported in relation from the results of, you know, they shot this, that and the rest of it. And, um, yeah, it's certainly something that hound hunting and um, other methods have been um, well and truly looked at and tried to push forward, I guess. So... Um, Moving from that to hunting and mental health. Um, being a member of the ADA um, can provide better opportunities for people to get together, I guess, is the message that you're saying. And, um, you know, form yeah, some new friendships. Oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a great net, this network of like-minded people. Yep. Um, Roger Hallam, who was the first chair of the Game Management Authority, described it to us once. He said, oh, we were talking about deer hunting with him and going through the mechanics of it. Roger's a great duck hunter. Yep. Going through the mechanics of it and how it works and you do this with your mates and you go to the cut-up and he said, oh, it's like a camo-clad men's shed. <laughs> I haven't heard it called that before. <laughs> but, but it really is. It's, it's a fraternity. Yep. Um, and quite a supportive one. Um, you'll see when you post your stuff about your PTSD. Yep. It's a really supportive community, but it gives people something that is lacking, certainly in urbanised life. Yep. Hunting gives people something that's lacking, which is that, that being out there with nature, and it allows people... Um, we put out an article a couple of weeks ago that Brian Boyle had written on his issues with the black dog Yep. and got a really good response. Um, Dean O'Hara, the new CEO of Field and Game, put out a video about having those difficult conversations... And it, it provides a an almost unique forum for people to interact, particularly men. Yeah. Yep. And and share their demons and and share their struggles, and it's it's great that we can play hopefully a small role in destigmatising it. Yep. Um, the other thing with people who we've done a couple of times, and we don't advertise it, but we give a discount for. Uh, TPI veterans at our hunter education course. Yep. We've had a few go through. And that comes from an understanding, one of the first blokes I ever hunted with, a TPI vet, a good friend of mine. Yep. Um, and the value that hunting brought for him with that, an outlet for that particular skill set and that particular um, indoctrination that he'd had as a soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to give an outlet to that in the civilian world is quite difficult and Deer hunting sort of does that. It, it draws mm -hmm. on all those self skills of self-resilience and ingenuity and and being alone in the wilderness. And, and an awful lot of those skills, it gives them a really good outlet for that. So we're um, gently encouraging you know, TPI vets and people with, with issues based on service to, to come along and join deer hunting as a really good outlet to, to help them along. I think as a person that suffers from um, depression and anxiety... Um, Personally, and I know quite a few people who also have depression and anxiety, which is from a non-service nature, but um, like you're saying, that um, that hand that's offered and has been offered to me through the hunting community in relation to uh, my um, wellness has been extraordinary. And I think it doesn't matter where I've been, and it's not just because I'm known for making knives, but... It doesn't matter where I've been, whether I've been driving through the Wannangatta and it's late and I need to pull up at a camp. Um, there's complete strangers that are hunters that I've been able to pull up with and in half an hour I'm having a beer, my swag's rolled out and mm. I've met some new friends. For me it's been instrumental in being able to stay on the right side of the grass um, and I think that like even today you and I talking, we, we met through you know, uh, hunting related, yeah. you know. And hunting, particularly hunting in Australia, has that that great egalitarian culture. That that stuff I spoke about earlier with the early days of a hand crew. Everyone's an equal. Yep. 
Uh, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do when when you're in the bush and, and wearing your bush clothes, then we're all the same. So. Yeah. Smell of wood smoke. Yeah. Barbecue <laughs> or grill, as they call it over in the States. Uh, you know, and some good stories and, and long nights, you know. It's nothing better, I think. What I'll do is I'll sort of, we're up to about an hour, so we'll um, come to, I guess, final comments. Anything you want to say to anyone that's listening, Barry, about the ADA and um, closing, closing off? Are you pretty good? Or Oh, look, I'll just do the final pitch. If you, yep. if you want to be a member, by all means, come onto our website. Um, access to that, six issues a year of the magazine, um, along with, again, Field and Game, we've got the same. Our firearm insurance is built into the membership. So you've got insurance for your firearms just by being a member, or you can top that up really easily for about five dollars. So it's probably it's the best firearms insurance that we know of in the Australian market, and you get that just as a as a freebie, as an aside, as yep. part of being a member. But the most important bit, I think, is besides supporting our advocacy, which is important um, and it helps you get in the bush, is it's giving you access to that really good community. Um, you, it's giving you a, a fellowship that you can tap into and try it before you buy it if you want um, get in touch with us get in touch with your local branch all of our branch meetings are open to the public you don't have to be a member to come along and see it and if you like it join up and if you don't that's fine go on your merry way or join another organization um, there might be something else that suits you there's there's any number of small organizations and some people just click with different groups of people and that's fine too yep well thanks for your time this morning Barry um, like I said it might be hard listening for some people because I am a member of the ADA I've tried to do this as best as I can without my own personal beliefs which come through on, on any, any interview but um, thanks for your time this morning uh, I'll um, certainly keep my ear to the ground to any of the changes that are coming in relation to the licensing and access and those sort of things that I find quite interesting to follow and uh, we'll all catch up with you soon thanks a lot Rob thank you thank you for listening to the Hunter Countdown on a podcast if you would like any information from today's show please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under Bye for now.